0: Hello there everyone and welcome back to The Longest Night, we are a Game of Thrones show on the Podbreed network and we work with our friends at the North subreddit as well. My name is Rob and I've seen every single episode of Game of Thrones at least half a dozen times.
1: And my name is Lizzie, and I'm watching every single episode of Game of Thrones for the very first time. If you
0: want to, you can find us on Twitter, we are at LongestNightGOT. That is at Longest GOT, and we're also under the same name on Etsy where we're currently selling pin badges. And speaking of our pin badges, uh, if you've been following our Twitter feed this week, uh, you'll have seen <laughs> that Jon Snow, King of the North himself, Kit Harington, uh, is now a proud owner of one of our pin badges. So if yeah. you buy one, then you'll be just like him.
1: Of course, you too can be king in the north.
0: Yes, you too can be king in the north, Lizzie. That is exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to say as well, um, I did I did meet Harrington outside of the Donmar Warehouse, where he's currently uh, in a production of uh, Henry V uh, at the Donmar Warehouse. There are very very limited tickets available, but I think based on what was happening when I went and saw it, they give away standing tickets on the on the night so if you turn up at the Donmar warehouse before April 9th and not on a Sunday i think they're selling standing tickets on the door if you fancy uh, if you fancy going in and having a look at kit in the production um mm-hmm. our title music was provided by Edward Thomas musician and friend of the podcast i'll leave a link to all of his available work in the description okay uh, the war of two queens is underway <laughs> This week, we are going to be discussing Season 7, Episode 2 of Game of Thrones, entitled Stormborn. It was written by Brian Cogman and directed by Mark Mylod. It was first broadcast on the 23rd of July, 2017, to an audience of 9.27 million people. Lizzie, what do we make of Stormborn?
1: I thought it was a very good episode, again. Um... I was look. I went looking for a quote afterwards to sum it up, and happened upon a line from *A Song of Ice and Fire* by George R. R. Martin himself, who says, "Some old wounds never truly heal and bleed again at the slightest word." You know, there's a lot of those old wounds that come back up again in this episode. Like, I tr- I tried to count how many mentions there were of Rhaegar Targaryen in this. I'm sure there's about seven or eight. Yeah. To think there's someone we've only seen the show tangentially in a vision. For someone to loom over the the entire well, the entirety of Westeros and for us never to have really seen him, but we know the impact he's had and obviously everyone in this episode has their own different um wounds that have been reopened in various different ways. So yeah. And like you say, it's the war of the two queens and potentially the one king, which is firing up again. So there's that to contend with.
0: Yeah, okay. I think on top of that as well, I think this is very much an episode about collisions. And yeah, meet Some literal, uh, some mm. figurative, but it's lots of characters encountering each other for the first time. Yeah. Or characters maybe going to war for the first time. Um, but I think before that there's lots of warm Stark moments that give a sense of things kind of coming full circle like this is the beginning of the final chapter and it gives the episode I think where last week maybe didn't have a lot of momentum I think this episode actually really does and even without the the sudden snap bang at the end with the, the battle at sea still think you'd feel quite propelled forward by this episode but not at a rate where it feels like times against you it feels like you're running alongside the little time that the uh, that the show has left to wrap its story up and it all feels it all feels very exciting i think that's what season th- season 7 really thrives off it's this feeling of ooh... That character just met that character, or oh, that yeah, character, yeah. and that's what season seven really thrives off for me. And it's uh, this—I think this is the episode where that really starts. Lord Varus has proven himself
1: a loyal servant.
0: Proven himself loyal, quite the opposite. If he dislikes one monarch, he conspires to crown the next one. What kind of a servant is that?
1: The kind the realm needs. Incompetence should not be rewarded with blind loyalty. As long as I have my eyes, I'll use them. I wasn't born into a great house. I came from nothing. I was sold as a slave and carved up as an offering. When I was a child, I lived in alleys, gutters, abandoned houses. You wish to know where my true loyalties lie? Not with any king or queen, but with the people.
0: On Dragonstone, as a storm batters the island, Daenerys and her advisers begin to make plans for her invasion of Westeros Tyrion urges caution while Daenerys confronts Varys over his previously shifting allegiances and Varys declares that he is loyal to the common people and states that he will inform Daenerys directly if he ever begins to doubt her leadership skills and in response Daenerys promises to burn him alive if he ever betrays her. Soon after, Lady Melisandre arrives at Dragonstone, and she instructs Daenerys to summon Jon Snow, whom Tyrion also recommends as a valuable ally. And Daenerys accepts, but sends a message with the instruction that Jon is to bend the knee. And at a war council, Yara Greyjoy and Elaria Sand support an immediate uh, immediate attack on King's Landing, but Daenerys heeds Tyrion's advice instead, which is to besiege the capital, while seizing Castle Rock with the Unsullied, and before departing, Grey Worm and Missandei share an intimate night together before they uh, before they depart for quite a while. If uh, Grey Worm's going to be off to war very mm-hmm. soon, um,
1: good stuff for Dragonstone this week. What do you make of it? Yeah, really good stuff. Um, I mean, we'll go all the way back to the start. I did find it interesting that Daenerys is only having this conversation with Varys now; like he's been here a while. It's like Mm. you're you're in a bit too deep to be questioning his loyalty. But is it just, you know, another game or is it a hint of insecurity from Daenerys? I think it could be partly the second. I think there's
0: this, there's an impatience to Daenerys in this episode that I find quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's this idea of she's home inverted commas and like this is the beginning of like a really big chapter in her life as she sees it and so she's around you know now she's back in what now that she's got Varys back in Westeros I think it's Mm -hmm. maybe the the time to sort of go so we're back in Westeros and now Varys you haven't been here for a couple of seasons uh so hmm just thought I'd ask um why why did you support my brother while you were under Robert Baratheon and then once Robert Baratheon was gone uh, you, you, you were off. You know, you, you came off and supported me. So, are you going to do the the same to me? And I think it's a, a valid, uh, a valid concern for Daenerys, as much as there's a slightly troubling icy calm to Daenerys while she,
1: while she interrogates Varys. I mean, I just it's just kind of an idle thought because it's like you've had a lot of time to ask these questions, and you know, Varys deals with it very well. I will say, yes, yeah,
0: and... great monologue as well from Conleth Hill.
1: Yeah, it's like he um he he's, he um he stands his ground but he's also, you know, he takes on the valid criticisms and you know, I think he gets that if he goes out of line then Daenerys will be down on him like the rage of a thousand suns like you're never going to you will not you will not survive that. And Varys isn't stupid. We know this. Mm. I think Daenerys as
0: well is Now set on a goal, I think that that's maybe been the slight the problem that I think Daenerys had in Marine, like as a as a character and as an Mm. interesting person in this story. I think a lot of people in the audience did struggle a little bit with the fact that her goals over in Marine were not as clear as they are now. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like the Iron Throne is Daenerys' goal, and it means that now the goal is clear, and it's focused. She's less tolerant of things that may get in the way, and may obstruct that journey, and so she's taking stock before this big next step, and it means that part of her keeping her affairs in order and doing... I I suppose it's her version of doing basic admin, it's just to check that everybody with her is on side, and if not, yeah, speak now yeah. or forever hold your peace.
1: You know, as well, because later on in the, um, you know, the planning theme where Tyrion is going over the strategy. Yeah. You get the sense that there's a lot of cooks in that room and just yeah. one of them could spoil the broth. Yes, definitely.
0: Before they do the war council, uh, Melisandra appears yeah. on Dragonstone. Um, she's learnt her lesson by uh, saying that, you know, prophecies are dangerous things. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the, the show revealing its point a little bit there with this idea that this world has been, especially people like Melisandra, they go off grand prophecies and grand stories and grand tales that never quite add up in reality in the same way that you expect them to when you first hear about these, you know, these great prince who was promised, is it yeah. Stannis? You know, it feels like melisandra has been thoroughly called out on that now. And she's yeah, the, yeah. she's admitting it to herself. But yeah, what would you make of the the uh, the scene with Melisandra asking Daenerys to summon Jon Snow?
1: It was one of two scenes in this episode where I thought Jon's parentage was going to come up again. It didn't, of course, but yeah. it feels like only a matter of time.
0: Ah, interesting. Well, for me, this is where this episode already very quickly be- it becomes about collisions the yeah, prospect yeah. of Jon Snow and Daenerys meeting each other, like the two, you know, they, they've always, they've been, I think, deliberately positioned at two polar opposites of the map this whole yeah. time. That you That's know, true. And they've been the two fantastical elements of the story. You know, Jon deals with ice demons and a big wall. Daenerys has got dragons. And so I think from the first episode, there's currently, in terms of major characters with proper names there's nobody north of the wall and there's no Mm -hmm. one in Essos anymore and so it's this it's that you feel in this episode this grand shift is underway where all of the disparate edges of the story are colliding and coming together in that little just that little moment where Tyrion's like Jon Snow I know that guy and Melisandre's like bring him here bring him here and in, in, I remember think, watching it at the time and then watching some reaction videos to it. And it's like, as soon as Daenerys Targaryen say, and it even happens at Winterfell where like Jon Snow says the words Daenerys Targaryen and Daenerys Targaryen says the words Jon Snow. And it's like, oh this is exciting. This has been coming for a long time, hasn't it? Oh, hasn't it? Yeah. And so it's, yeah, I think that's what this episode really thrives off. And it's um, written to cater towards those, uh, towards those feelings.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I like the um, Tyrion's call back to season one as well. Like there's more of that later on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really long way back. Um, Mm. So this, yeah, this war council scene. Yeah. My big takeaway from this is that, the Devil and the Angel on Daenerys's shoulder. You've got Tyrion advocating siege tactics and trying to spare the bloodshed and you know, trying to mm-hmm. do it as, as, as soft an invasion as possible, hopefully forcing a position where Cersei can surrender without too much loss of life. But there's Olenna at the dead opposite end of the table and the dead opposite end of that conversation where... She's mm. feeding those impulses that, let's be honest, Daenerys kind of enjoys the, yeah. be yeah. a dragon, you're not a sheep. I ignored all of the men that ever spoke to me, I, I, I've, and I've outlived them all. What does that tell you? And, you know, my, da- my granddaughter was very well beloved by the people, but look where that's got her. No one was scared of her, who was there when Cersei blew up the Sept, and stole Marjorie from the world and she was saying you know you have all of these things at your disposal and I think Elena is scarred from she's looked at Cersei and gone you are evil and I hate you but sort of like fair play because it's like you've used this you used everything at your disposal and everybody fears you now and yeah yeah so it's, yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one to watch. But what do you make of that? Yeah, that, that you mentioned about there being too many cooks in the kitchen.
1: Yeah, and it's like, if you go with um, Lady Alina's approach, it's like mutually assured destruction. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I've, I've got a note here. Like, it's good to have Tyrion back. Last season, it felt like they'd forgotten how to actually write for Tyrion. And they lent a bit too hard on it the, the humour side, but they did away with his dry sardonic wit and they just replaced it with this sub-Chuck lorry awkward humour. When you see him in a scene like this, you know what he's really capable of, that he can win over this room of people who have quite legitimate reasons for not liking him, whether it's just yeah. he's a Lannister or he's indirectly responsible for the death of my brother. Mm. But... Yeah, it's it's nice to actually have Tyrion playing to his strengths rather than just being I don't know another lackey.
0: Yeah, I think that Tyrion in this scene, especially when he starts shouting back at Ilaria, where Ilaria will blame Tyrion for Oberyn's death, and Tyrion will definitely blame Ilaria for Marcella's death in yes, season five. That's right, you're yeah. talking about all these old wounds that get opened up, but also like. Yara Greyjoy is an ally of I mean also these characters being on screen together is insane to me. Like really O'Lena, Ilaria, Tyrion, Daenerys, <laughs> like they're all uh, Greyworm also there. They're all, all on screen together. And yeah, I think it is an example of how this this great story is um really coming to a close. But before we get to that closing point, there are a lot of like I said, there are a lot of wounds and scars that they've all given each other. Over the course of the series, and like Yara's uncle is currently allying with Daenerys's, <laughs> Daenerys's Arch-rival, enemy, yeah, and also Daenerys's enemy is also Tyrion's sister, and yeah. so like there's all of this complicated incestuous web of family politics, all Absolutely. over the, all over both sides of this table, and it is an example of. Perhaps having too many personal conflicts in one room, and it means that Tyrion has to be the person who steps forward and says, this is the plan, and this is the way that we're going to do it. Yeah,
1: you have to put your foot down and say, no, we have a set path, we have a plan, we cannot stray from this, because if we let personal vendettas get in the way, then we're fucked.
0: And how much better are we than the people that we want to overthrow? Absolutely. I just want to finish off at Dragonstone with one of my favorite scenes of the episode, Mm. Uh, the Grey Worm and Missandei scene, which is very sweet. I think that it's very beautiful. I think it's two former slaves revealing themselves to each other on the eve of a departure. Two people who've never really had, like, they've never really had anything like the feelings of anticipatory grief. They've never Hmm. really had anything personal to them. You know, whoever their families were, we've never met them, we've never known them. They've only ever been owned by people and they've not exactly been... Well, they were both owned by the same person. They were both owned by Master Krasnus. Yeah. And here they are revealing themselves to each other, revealing that, you know... I mean, I know we've kind of joked in the past about Grey Worm, like, oh, the robot's got feelings. But, like, (laughs) yeah, the robot's got feelings. Like, you know, it's... the. Whoever he was in season three is is no longer there. Grey Worm has learned how to feel for mm. Misande, and considering that this is this romance is basically a show original storyline, I think it's really beautifully realised, and I think it's a great point to cap off their journey up to this point. Um, and I love Grey Worm's face when Misande takes his clothes off, like the fear and like the sickness and the yeah. shame that like uh, don't you know like don't go near my you know I'm, I'm mutilated please you know don't go near me but then like there's that really crucial shot of his hand kind of like just giving way and it yeah, kind of yeah. and for the shot from behind and yeah it's, I just think it's very beautiful and very tenderly done um I, I kind of I wondered why they don't shut the door but that's not a huge problem for me. That's that's a very minor nit in what is probably one of my favourite
1: scenes in the episode. But what, what about you? I guess it's one of those, like, heat of the moment things. It's like you don't yeah, even yeah. notice it's open because you're no. just lost in this moment. There's there's nobody else there but you two.
0: Hmm. I think as well, if the door was shut, they might have had a bit of a harder time blocking the scene. Because well, yeah, there's that shot through the open door of them both mm. stood together. And I wonder how they would have come up with that. They may have had to do a profile shot or something. And I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you'd long... have to do
1: like, I don't know, like an extreme close up or something. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But what do you make of it? Um, yeah, I agree. It's, it's really well done. It's one of those rare moments of affection and tenderness. And they really stand out, but they always feel kind of doomed. Um, you know, like mm. John and Igret and um, Tyrion and Shay. It's those. You, you so rarely see like true love in the show and there might be a reason for that or well, true love that's
0: allowed to last anyway
1: yeah um Robin Talisa as well at their moment it it all just feels like it's it's bound for a disaster and you you kind of try to drink in that moment and just accept it for what it is but you also know that they're most likely never going to have a moment like this again and yeah i'm i'm feeling a bit pessimistic about where this relationship is going can you tell i can i definitely can <laughs> i mean it, i mean it's, it's the same with sending anyone off to war it's you know there's bound to be a casualty and yeah well who knows it nearly happened once before with um if it weren't for me you'd have been slaughtered on that battlefield you have many enemies, my king, but I swear to you, I'm not one of them. I love Sansa as I loved her mother.
0: Talk to my sister, and I'll kill you myself. At Winterfell, Jon receives Daenerys' Raven, instructing him to come to Dragonstone. Sansa and Davos express their concerns, but Davos notes that Daenerys could be a useful ally against the White Walkers because of her dragons. Later, in another council with the Northern Lords, Jon reveals that he's going to accept Daenerys' invitation and travel south with Davos, and he names Sansa as the caretaker leader of Winterfell. Before leaving, Jon spends some time in the crypt, where Ned Stark's buried, only to be interrupted by Littlefinger, and when Littlefinger suggests that he may love Sansa in the way that he loved Catelyn, John holds him against the wall and threatens to kill him if he harms his sister. Obviously, we know that Sansa's not his sister, but John's not to know that, which is where this <laughs> season is filled with beautiful dramatic irony throughout. Yeah, um, yeah the Winterfell stuff, again, kind of similar to last week, where it just feels like pieces are being moved into place, but, you know, it's some great characters... Saying some cool things, and Jon Snow saying saying the words Daenerys Targaryen, and Davos mentioning Daenerys Targaryen. And there's the, always the potential hanging in the air that Jon Snow and Davos could be going to meet Daenerys very soon. But well, what about you?
1: Yeah, and there's always the dramatic irony as well. It's like a Targaryen cannot be trusted. It's like <laughs> John does his little look to the camera, like, well, it's a living. <laughs> um, no, I I don't honestly have much on this. It's it's good. But it's it's nothing nothing really new other than we know that John is leaving to meet Daenerys. Yeah. But there's also because um, I know you sent me that image of um, John strangling Littlefinger and Ned doing the same thing in season one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, I love that parallel, and I also love how you know when Littlefinger walks back in at the end. And he's got that sort of smirk on his face. Like, what is he thinking? What is he possibly planning? Yeah. You've got a snake in the grass here.
0: Oh, yes. A snake in the snow-covered grass. Yeah. Um, The thing is, though, Sansa is becoming slightly cautious and wary of outsiders. Admittedly, that outsider is somebody that we like, which is Daenerys, but her experiences have at least taught her well. So you'd hope that Mm. if Littlefinger's got a plan while Jon's away... Sansa hopefully could be wise to it. It feels like if he's if he's going to try and manipulate her, you would hope that she's grown up enough now to to see and to know. And she, you knows she, and she does say things in previous episodes where it's like, yeah, okay, Peter Baelish, I know your game. I know your game. I, I need your soldiers, but I still know your game. So you just be careful there. You don't go saying too much. Mm. Um, the one thing yeah. that I found quite interesting about Winterfell this week, though, is you mentioning in the season six finale that you felt like there was going to be a bit of a leadership battle between Jon and Sansa. Yeah. But I think this episode kind of reveals that maybe Jon's just, like, not that kind of guy. Like, I feel like Jon could sense a bit of a leadership battle coming and he's sort of saying, you named me king in the north, but, like, I I just accepted it because I love the north and I love you guys and I, I didn't want it. I just kind of took it when you offered it to me. And so the first chance he's got to sort of like, no Sansa, you you do it, you do it. He's he's gone, and he's off to meet yeah, yeah. he's off to meet Daenerys and uh, you know get get this uh, hopefully get this Dragonstone or you know try and survive a you know Sansa thinks that it might be a trap. You know obviously we're sat there thinking it's not a trap. Tyrion's a good guy. Tyrion would never do this and like Tyrion would never lead Jon Snow into a trap and all this and we know that Jon's going to be okay when he goes south. But Sansa's not to know this. But, of course, yeah. Jon just sort of says, well, you're in charge. And basically, I think the show is just sort of saying, we're not messing about, like, we're not going to have three or four episodes about, like, Jon Snow and Sansa trying to run Winterfell in different ways. It's going to be a couple of disagreements. A letter's going to arrive. Two letters are going to arrive, because obviously you've got um, Sam's Raven from the Citadel as well. No mm, messing about. Yeah. John's off to meet Daenerys. This is what the season's going to be about at Winterfell. Santa ruling the North, while Littlefinger's stuck in the wall at the, uh, at the Great Hall. I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, he has stood in exactly the same spot in the Great Hall for the last three episodes. Whenever they've been doing these meetings, he stands on that exact wall in the exact same spot. And I'm, I was beginning to worry... You're about right. it. Was, Yeah, beginning to watch this... When I was watching the show live, I was beginning to worry that his cloak was stuck in the wall and he was just too embarrassed to tell <laughs> somebody, like, hey... Hello, I'm stuck. <laughs> um, he's caught it
1: on a nail or something, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or he's got like a bit of his cape trapped between a brick, and he's like, <laughs> "Oh God, I'm stuck." Just, just, just keep, keep your cool. Keep, keep your calm exterior. That's it. That's it. Just do your yeah, little arms
1: folded, little lean. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, that is where this season's gonna go. Where it's like Jon's off to Daenerys now. Sansa's hanging around at Winterfell. Littlefinger's gonna be moving in and out of the darkened corridors, that sort of thing. Um but yeah, it's it's just moving Winterfell is still the moving things into place bit of the of the show, I think, yeah. at the moment. There's yeah, I think you'll begin to sort of realize now that like there are three now it's been established in this episode that there are three main plots to this season, which is like the stuff that's gonna happen with John going south to see Daenerys, the stuff mm-hmm. that's going on in King's Landing with Cersei versus Daenerys and yep. then the stuff at Winterfell and the, the this is now the I think it's taken them two episodes to get all of this very quickly together instead of spending three or four episodes setting everything up it's now just two episodes and they're not really really not f- like they're, <laughs> they're not messing around, they're not taking their time with this, it's like Beat after beat after beat and Yeah, there's there's yeah.
1: definitely a couple of examples of this in this episode. And like yeah, I think it maybe helps that they've shrunk the world considerably so that you have less less you have fewer characters to check in with. And yeah, so definitely y- you can do that. You can check in with the same character twice and it'll be two entirely different scenes in two entirely different locations. George are a moment. The only son of Gior Mormond. Oh. My name is Samuel Tarley. Sworn brother of the Night's Watch. Training to serve as master at Castle Black. I knew your father. I was with him when he died. You are not dying today, Sir Jorah. Drink this. What is it? Rum. Drink it all, please I'm afraid this is going to hurt.
0: In Old Town at the Citadel Sam and Archmaster Ebrose deduce that Sejora's grayscale has progressed too far to be treated and Jora is given the option of banishment to Valeria or suicide. However, after recognizing his surname Mormont and and, uh, and after discovering he is the son of Lord Commander Mormont, Sam intends to save Sejora's life and despite being forbidden from doing so by Ebrose Sam secretly carries out the procedure to cure Sajora's grayscale in the middle of the night, and the agonising procedure involves removing the damaged layer of Sejora's skin manually, and it's a process that risks transmission of the disease, and by the looks of things, just risks the patient passing out from the pain. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, um, Yeah. What, what, what do you make of uh, Old Town this week? I mean, if last season was the comedy season, then this must be the gross-out season. Like, yeah. we're, we're two for two this season with pretty disgusting scenes in Old Town. You know, that that cut from Jorah's pussy open wounds to the man eating pie in the Riverlands maybe gag gagged both times. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. horrible.
0: <laughs> it's a superb cut. It's a great idea. There's one slightly earlier in the episode as well, or is it? No, I think it might be slightly... No, it is. It's just before where... Grey Worm and Missandei are becoming intimate. And it's edited in such a way that Missandei reaches back to grab hold of a headboard, but then <laughs> Jim Broadbent's hand <laughs> grabs onto a book instead and transitions from uh, Missandei to Archmaster Ebrose. But yeah. yeah, I think that, yeah, it is gross. It's um, painful and disgusting and difficult and cringe-inducing, like you grit yeah. your teeth a lot when you watch it it's yeah it's yeah i think
1: it's a hell of a hell of a feat really yeah they i mean they did well with it but like there is that question of surely the solution to grayscale isn't just peeling it off
0: yeah the solution feels a little bit convenient a little
1: I mean, bit a little yeah, bit yeah
0: i think I, <laughs> what i what i probably will say is that there is a reference in this episode to Maester Crescent, who was the maester that tried to poison Melisandre and then ended up poisoning him himself right? Um, way back at the beginning. And it, so it says that he's the one that discovered Shireen's grayscale and that Shireen was an infant. And so maybe hmm. the cure for grayscale before it fully develops is slightly different to the cure of when it's actually you know, fully developed in the way that it has with with Jorah's. But like it's still I'm I can see why it's been banned, because Sam has to get very, very close to Sejora. Yeah. And it definitely. just so happens that Sam is exceptionally gifted. But yeah, I think it's just one of those where like they've made the individual scene as painful and horrible as possible because it is only gonna take a scene to do this. Like, yeah. you know, they're not going to spend two or three episodes with Jorah agonizing in pain in a hospital bed, oh, like God, can you wailing, <laughs> wailing from behind a closed door about how much pain he's in. Like, you oh, know, it's no. something where like, well, we yeah. can't do it all at once, Ajora. We're going to have to do this in three or four different sittings. And like, you know, y- you're going to go through a lot of pain to do it. And there's a risk of transmission and, you know, I all mean, of these things. And so they make they this said they were going to kill difficult. me
1: tomorrow. I mean, what? <laughs> how much time do you have? <laughs>
0: Uh, well, uh, exactly, you know. So, like, they, they've they've deliberately sped it up a little hmm. bit. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Listen, yeah. you're either banished tomorrow, or you have to, or you get to kill yourself overnight because you're uh, an anointed sir. You're a knight. Um, but I think to be honest, the more important thing for me from this is again this benefit of collision. You get characters from disparate ends of the story saving each other and helping each other. Sam's connection to Geo Mormont, who is a character that's been dead for like thirty episodes yeah forty episodes like he saves jora's you know like that's you know that connection with Samuel Tali and Gior Mormont has saved Sajora's life many yeah. many episodes after Sajora as uh, Geo Mormont was even in the show um the practical effects work is excellent. I really love the practical effects stuff on Jora um with the grayscale and like the pus and everything that comes leaking out of it but And the yeah,
1: um like the exposed flesh afterwards I yeah. Really yeah,
0: good. yeah, really, really fantastic uh, practical effects, and um, the you know the the costuming and design team have done an amazing job there. But I think for me, the more important thing is just what it means to Sejora and Sam to be able to be in the same spot, mm. and to be able to you know for Sam to be able to rescue Sejora, and for Sejora's ailments to be able to sort of give Sam a little bit of faith that he's you know he does belong in the Citadel, and that he's one of the first people in many, many years to try this, try this procedure. Even, you know, I think you can see him growing a little frustrated, Sam, with the way that the Maesters do things. Sam understands the urgency of the situation in a way that, whether it's to do with trying to fight White Walkers or whether it's to do with trying to save somebody from a death the following day, and you can see that he's becoming a little bothered by like the fact that he's just sort of been told to do cleanup duty in the hospital wing and when he, this is the potential that he's got. And so I think he's annoyed by the sort of like, you know, the Maces have all got their nose in books and like, they're not really looking at anything else. And it's all very, oh yes, well, we're very rational. Um, And we're very, but we're also very slow. Um, It's
1: a lot like um, the High Sparrow that, And it's all Mm, about, like, you know, rationality and what the texts say. But, you know, often you come up against something that you can't find an answer for just by reading a book. You actually have to do something.
0: Yeah, precisely. And so Sam takes this decisive action. And I think it's also another example of the show going, nope, we're not messing around this season. Like, we have seven episodes to get all of this done. We're basically, by halfway through next week's episode, we will be a third of the way through the season. And things have got to get moving. And so I think that they work around that by making sure that the 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 feelings evoked about the character relationships are as strong as possible in these yeah. short you know, the, the, the shortened available time that they have.
1: No, I, I think they do a good job of it. Like the you know, the one more day line. I I thought that was the writer's way of Working that condensing of events into a short span of the episode and to make that rapid turnaround feel more natural mm. you know it's like the show doesn't have much time left but neither does Jorah it's like if you don't do this now no. then Jorah's a dead man
0: yeah this season is a race against the clock in many ways and yeah. it's a race against the clock for the characters just as much as it is for the uh, for the writers and I think you can feel that in this Absolutely.
1: Scene. that's actually green now
0: Heard she blew up the great sept. There must have been something to see. Boom. I
1: mm.
0: can't believe someone would do that. Cersei so, so would do that. I thought you'd be in for Winterfell. Why would I go there? the Boltons, have it? No. The Boltons are dead. What? John Snow came down from Castle Black of a wilding Army and won the Battle of the Bastards. He's King of the North now. You're lying will not I lie about that? It's your brother, right? In the Riverlands, Arya arrives at a roadside inn, and once inside, she reunites with Hot Pie. Yay! Hey! Good to see him again. Really Absolutely. good to see him again. And Hot Pie tells her that Jon has retaken Winterfell from the Boltons, and so she leaves the inn and decides to head north instead, back home, instead of continuing on to King's Landing, and on her way northwards, she encounters her old direwolf Nymeria, who has since grown to an incredibly large size and has formed her own wolf pack, and when Arya tries to reach out to her and invite her to join her in the north, Nymeria leaves Arya behind instead, and heads off into the forest. Initially upset, Arya then admits that, like, that's not you, to Nymeria, and lets her direwolf go. Uh, oh, some more good stuff with Arya this week again. There's yeah, just those definitely. little, just those little flecks of humanity, just just coming back to Arya. Just the the, the human feelings that she's not had for quite a long time. It, it feels like they've, uh, they, they, it feels like they're, they're coming back a little bit. What what about you?
1: Yeah, I agree. Like one of the best moments of the episode is when Hot Pie tells Arya about Jon retaking Winterfell. And it's like he's flicked a switch on her back. It's like, yep, here's your problem. Someone set this thing to evil. <laughs> Flick it back up. Like, even before that, she's acting like all cold and distant. She's like, she doesn't even notice that Hot Pie is there for the most part, like steals his food and just has a thousand yard stare. Yeah. But yeah, Hot Pie sort of mentioned John and it's like, she comes back to life just like that. It's, like, she was never gone. And and then, obviously, yeah, she leaves the place and she goes to a literal crossroads. But it is that kind of, do you go with your head or your heart?
0: Yeah, I think that this whole sequence, uh, 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 in the inn and just outside, is mm. written and edited and directed tremendously. I agree, yeah. Because, first off, are you eating... Who does that remind you of from a few seasons back that she spent a lot of time with? The hound? Yeah, just this yeah. this grunting and not being like, um, yeah, not really engaged in whatever conversation. It's just food. Yeah, just you know, both and, hands,
1: gobful, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then there are, the whole scene is edited and it feels like a race. It's quite frantic. Arya feels quite eager for it to be over with so that she can just kind of get on. And it's like, oh hello, hot pie. Oh yeah, um, yeah, i, I yeah, one or two pies. Yeah,
1: hmm, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one or two, two. pies. Yeah,
0: fuck's sake. yeah, she, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, certainly yeah, uh, would do that. Like you know, that like, hot pie is like, oh, Ari, how are you doing? Good to see you. And I is like, yeah, mm. no, great, fine. Yeah, let me just, yeah, no, good, thanks. Yeah, this is good, great. Yeah, thanks. You got any ale? Thanks. And it's this constant snappy back and forth. But then there are two moments in it that Hot Pie provides that kind of just leave Aya lingering, sil- lingering in silence for a second, and the first one is the yeah. "What happened to you, Ari?" and it's just this oh, God, second yeah. where Aya goes like, "Yeah, what did happen to me?" Because it's not like a, "Oh, Aya, you know, like Ari, um, like you know, what's been going on? What happened to you?" What? Where, where? It's, it's more like a, "You are completely different." To who I yeah, said goodbye like, to in season I, I three. I don't
1: recognise you anymore. Who are you? <laughs> yeah.
0: um, And Hot Pie is a really great reflective surface for Arya. Because yeah. this is something I really like about something the show does every now and again. Where it will return to a character that, you know, it will put two characters together in a scene again. When they've not been together for quite a while. And you'll mm. notice the difference between them um i always like to compare it to uh weirdly in the star wars films where in the in the in episode 5 the empire strikes back especially where han solo mm-hmm. meets uh lando calrissian and lando calrissian is exactly the same in personality as han solo is at the start of episode 4 a new hope yeah but because Han Solo has developed across the course of one and a half films to become like a you know, like a rebel fighter and a good guy coming up against someone who is exactly like he was one and a half films ago it makes you realise how far Han Solo has come. And so with Aya in this, sticking her against a character that is they were together in a completely different era of the story, it, it's a really good chance to just sort of go, Wow, yeah, like Aya is not who she used to be. Um yeah. But then there's the other one as well where, as you crucially uh, and rightly pointed out, it's that, you know, John's king in the north now. And it's the only other time in the conversation where she's just silent and Mm. thinks. And then the sadness goes across Maisie. I mean, Maisie Williams' face, they made a little joke about it in season six where she said that she had very expressive eyebrows (laughs) and she uses them to full effect here, the sadness Absolutely. that comes in through those eyebrows yeah, yeah. and through her eyes. Um is just so it's just a very beautiful and touching moment, and then the decision that Arya makes to go north is really gorgeous and she rides north into the snow as well, and it's like she's yeah, heading yeah. towards where winter is worse, and you know, I always associate snow with the Starks, and then the the theme strikes up and it's like, yeah. Yeah, you you made the right decision there. Just leave vengeance for a little while. Maybe it's not yeah. the way to go. And yeah, it's 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 very beautiful. I think it's very very beautiful.
1: It's a lot like um, Theon telling Sansa that Bran and Rickon are still alive. It's that that little ray of hope when seemingly all hope was lost.
0: Yeah, I have a home to go home to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then you have the uh, the scene with Nymeria as well, which is another yeah. another season one callback in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, signed off with another season one callback, which was the "That's not you, that's not me" parallel from. And it's it feels like the like I was saying before about this show feeling like it's coming full circle. There's lots of deliberate references to the very beginning of the yeah. story that we've that we've laid witness to and the size of Nymeria always kind of blows me away because uh, it's like, I think, God, yeah, she really was massive, wasn't she? And then like you watch the scene and it's like, no, I'd, I'd forgotten my memory. In, in my memory, she was somehow smaller than she is.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that we've not seen a dire wolf in so long that when you do see one, it's like, whoa, my God. Um, But yeah, it's um like you say, it's that callback to season one. It's it's a reminder that they both still bear the scars of the events of the King's Road. Yeah. And some of them are quite similar. Like, they, they both lost each other as a close friend, as well as Micah in Arya's case, but um, they were both sort of cast aside in that episode in different ways. You can't help but think how different things might be if Joffrey had been punished for his behaviour yeah, or if Sansa had backed Arya up when she was protesting Nymeri's innocence. But, of course, Nymeria doesn't understand that Arya had no choice but to let her go and actually saved her life in doing so. Hmm. But, yeah, just how different things could have been for them both. And I think nymeria in that moment realizes do i really want to and uh, i may be anthropomorphizing a little bit here but it's like do i want to go through that heartbreak again i think in addition to that as well i think aya sees
0: the monster that nymeria has become and realizes that she herself has also been kind of turned into one that's so by true abandonment and trauma which are the two mm-hmm. exact same things that nymeria went through where of course Arya is yeah. like get out of here you know, yeah. Nymeria would feel abandoned too. And again, it's Arya coming across another reflective surface this season where she's finally able to really analyse herself based on the reactions and interactions that she has with other people. And they're managing Arya very carefully in these, in these couple of episodes. I really like what they do with her.
1: I'm a Tali. That name means something. We're not oathbreakers. we're not schemers. We don't stab our rivals in the back, or cut their throats at it. I swore an oath to House Tyrell. You swore an oath to the crown as well, Lord Tarney. I've known Olenna since I was a child. She was a great woman, once. Now, she's broken. She wants revenge so badly, she brought the Dothraki to our shores. The Dothraki in Westeros for the first time in history.
0: In King's Landing, Cersei appeals to the Lords of Westeros, including Randall Tarly, returning after a few episodes, for support against Daenerys, and Jaime offers to make Randall Tarly the Warden of the South if he agrees to become Jaime's second in command. Later on, Kyburn demonstrates to Cersei the power of a weapon that he's been building in order to attack Daenerys' dragons. And the weapon he reveals is a scorpion, which is capable of wounding dragons and possibly killing them. I think... It's another example of the speed that this season is moving at and the priorities that this season has. That usually Kyburn Scorpion would be a moment to end an episode yes, in the early days. True. Like the reminder, yeah. if they can be wounded, they can be killed. And it's like, yeah, it's a good line to close an episode. Oh, we still have 20 minutes left.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, what do you make of the King's Landing stuff? Only a couple of scenes, but...
1: Yeah, I mean, go back to the start. It's good to know that I'm not the only one who's bad with names, as Jamie says. Rickon, isn't it? Dickon. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Dickon. How could I forget? Well, you did forget because he means nothing to you. But anyway, Mm -hmm. um, if Jamie can think of no better person to be Warden of the South than Randall Tarley, then what does that say about the South? It sounds more like a punishment than a reward.
0: Just one little thing, by the way. Uh, Dickon's been recast so, in season six, Dickon <laughs> was played by uh, Freddie Stromer, and okay. now he's being played by Tom Hopper.
1: Well, I uh, credit to the show, I guess, because I genuinely didn't notice. Wow,
0: well, well done. Yeah, well, yeah. well, well done to them. Well, well, well done, Nina Gold, casting director, for uh, that, that, <laughs> that brilliant choice.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, one thing I will say is that Cersei is deliberately appealing to Westeros' xenophobia and suspicion of foreigners, and it, I, think, right. I, think, yeah. I think it's a decent campaign to run. And I think that's why, like, to be honest, Cersei does not have many allies. This is something that was discussed in the previous episode. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, Randall Tarly's like, well, you know, you're the leader of the Tarlys. We can and you. Uh, care to join. And Randall Tarly just sort of says, uh, hmm, I'll think about this. Let's just say it. Move me. To a bigger house. <laughs> and so, of course he will. Of course he will.
1: <laughs> of course he will. <laughs> but yeah, it's in keeping with Cersei that we, like, we know she'll fight dirty if she has to. Yeah, And gotcha. that's exactly what she's doing. You're gonna be queen of the Iron Islands. Once I kill my uncle. And well, what will you be, handsome? Whatever my queen commands. You'll be my advisor. My protector. Oh, I see. Your protector. So if someone gets too close to you, you might have to intervene to hold that person back. Until they've made their intentions known. Are you standing all the way over there then? A foreign invasion is underway.
0: In the narrow sea, after leaving Dragonstone, the fleet of ships controlled by Yara and Ilaria Sand sails to Dawn to retrieve the army meant to lay siege to King's Landing. And while at sea, Yara and Ilaria engage in some rather serious flirting. But the fleet then suddenly comes under attack from Euron Greyjoy, whose men board Yara's ship and begin an assault. And while Yara's fleet is quickly wiped out by flaming projectiles and attacks from all sides, Yoron fights with the Sand Snakes, killing two of them while taking Tyene and Ilaria as his prisoners. And later, while Yoron fights with Yara, he takes her prisoner as well and calls out for Theon to come and rescue her. But Theon, suddenly very seriously affected by the events around him, and with the sight of Yoron holding Yara captive, jumps overboard, and as Euron's fleet sails away, Theon can only float in the water and watch on helplessly. Um, this is very good. It's not my favourite battle of the show, for reasons I will explain, but what did you make of it?
1: Um, yeah, I I liked it. Um, again, I don't really have much on it, other than, you know, Theon um, jumping over at the end, because you know, as we say, some wounds never truly heal and they bleed again at the slightest word. It is that, you know, that trauma eventually catching up to him, whereas it felt it feels like up to this point, you know, with his um, reunion with Yara especially, that he's done a really good job of repressing it. And in this moment, yeah. it just all came flooding back and he couldn't cope with the situation. And in that fight or flight moment, flight was the obvious option yeah but yeah um i thought the fight scene was was pretty good there's no like real other than you know um euron descending from the other ship and just laughing maniacally there's no particular standout moments i would say but Mm. it, it did its job
0: yeah i sort of agree with that um I think that I mean obviously Euron is insane, and I love it the way that he screams Clearly. as the Corvus descends, and he basically just laughs his way into war. Is yeah, like yeah. that's that I think that's yeah I I, I do love that. Um, Pili Ashbeck who who plays him really brings his all in that moment. Um, but yeah, the I feel like parts of this are played at one point two five times speed. The, there's just something <laughs> odd about the frame rate in this scene, or like the the way that it feels slightly choppy sometimes
1: I noticed that but i might have to go back and look at that now there's
0: little moments where it just feels like it's playing slightly fast and i think it contributes to this feeling i have that where blackwater was built on the perspectives the battle itself was built on the perspectives of tyrion and the hound and then, in the way that The Red Wedding was built around Catelyn Stark's perspective, and the way that the battle at the wall was built around the perspective was kind of built around the chain of command, where it was moved from Sam to John, occasionally dropping in with Egret and that sort of thing. You know, it was always a person's eye yeah, yeah. view. Hard Home, you followed John through all of it. Battle of the Bastards, you follow John through all of it. Yeah. This doesn't have that same, like, which character are we paying attention to here? And it that's feels like the moment yeah, it, and I don't know whether that's because they wanted to go with the chaos, like they mm. wanted to be like this is completely chaotic. It's at night, and you know it's a different kind of battle for the show. It's at sea, lots of fire and water together. It's the it's first time ambush. they've really done something yeah. like this. Yes, yeah, exactly. But then when it does settle on Theon, the way that he freezes, and the mm. way that years of torture come back in Alfie Allen's face, and the way that Ramsey jumps in. To Theon's mind, because there are people all around him. uh, Someone we interviewed on the show, actually Curtis Napier, he's having his ear cut off in this scene, and which family? Yeah, which family does Theon know very well that cut body parts off? And so it's it's the Boltons, and so Ramsay jumps right back into his mind. His body, Alfie Allen's body movements while he jumps overboard, like that is Mm. so Theon. I don't know how he embodies him so so brilliantly but
1: yeah i agree yeah
0: but i love the the point that the episode is left on which is like you were saying that wounds don't just heal because you want them to and recovery from something like ptsd that theon definitely has it's not linear it isn't linear there's lots of peaks and troughs two steps forward one step back you know we see it just as much in yara's face and euron's face as we do theon's like the way they both react to what he does like euron's like <laughs> oh like the stupid evil laugh and yara's like oh god i really thought we had him back and it turns out we don't and yeah ah, uh, theon must be thinking like jesus i really let her down here and that is the moment is crystallized so brilliantly and it's it's a moment from the episode that everybody remembers because it's focused entirely on one character and their perspective of a moment and it feels like in the rest of the battle it does feel like it's a little bit too much of a of an overhead view it's a bit too much of a third's eye view I still like it still really impre- impressively assembled um, like I say it's good to like get like it, it, I think it's just a, a brilliant example of the show putting a, a, an amazing visual set piece together and really carrying it off the the projectiles flying everywhere the sense of chaos the lack of visual direction i feel like there's not much of a you know the, the, there isn't much consistency with like um that it, it doesn't choose a path to go down no and i think that's a yeah. little bit to its detriment but i guess that, i think that's the point that it's like oh my god we're being attacked from all sides what do we do but there are certain moments in it where I feel like they want us to feel a little bit more than we do. And I do have to say, I feel a little bit sorry for the actresses that play the two Sand Snakes that are killed. Because they get a little bit of a send-off with that scene in the in the hammocks before the battle. And like we get to see them in action with the whip and stuff. But it just feels like the show, ever since the end of season 5 and the start of season 6, it just feels a little bit like the show has been apologising for the Sand Snakes and I feel a little bit sorry for the actresses that, like, they probably thought they were going to come into something and have a really big role. And since the end of season five, the Sand Snakes have been in a grand total of three episodes and they're dead in this one. And well, two of them are dead. Two of them, yeah. So, like, you know, I feel a little bit sorry for them. In, in that regard, and it it does feel a little bit like... I mean, I remember some people joking at the time where it's like, well, I don't like Euron, but at least he killed the Sand Snakes. And it's like, oh...
1: Oh, no. That's a bit no. mean. Yeah. yeah
0: it, 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 it is a bit mean. And, like, I'm sure that, like, you know, they're professionals. They'll understand that not everything works out, but... Yeah, I feel a bit bad for the actresses in this scene. It's not a comment on the scene itself. I just, I feel a bit sorry for them. I feel like the show has been apologising for them when it, doesn't, it didn't really need to. I think it should have just done what it normally does, which is just stick to its guns. No, and exactly. And just go with it. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's they yeah. weren't the problem with the dawn storyline. The dawn storyline was the problem with the dawn storyline. But yeah, yeah, I it it felt yeah. like at the start of season six, for example, it's like oh shit, this is actually going somewhere, and then they just decided not to really do anything with it. Yeah, and now here we are. So yeah, with only two I, left, I don't yeah. know. It's I guess it's the show just kind of cussing its losses rather than apologizing, maybe. But yeah yeah
0: and also not... doing what it's been doing since the start of season six which is cutting a couple of corners so that things can move on and things yeah. can head towards yeah. the end yeah it, it it is it's a cool battle sequence with one really excellent character moment at the end of it um and that's all i'll really say i think that's the true. rest of it doesn't it's not that it doesn't work for me it does um but it just i think it's probably my least favorite combat sequence of the show Apart that's from maybe enough. that really bad fight sequence in Dawn in season five. Oh, yeah. No, that
1: still trumps it.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is below basement level of, like, how much I don't <laughs> like it. But, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, Lizzie, I want your favourite line of the episode, please.
1: Um. Ooh, this is a tough one, actually. I had a couple that I could have gone with. But, yeah. I mean, that's... Um, I don't think there was one particular standout line in this episode. But... I'll just, I'll oh, it, I'll go with Jon Snow. Touch my sister and I'll kill you myself.
0: Yeah, good old family strength there. That's, uh, Indeed. that's what we like to see. Okay, who's your loser this week? Uh, Yoron.
1: That's an easy choice.
0: Yeah, I, I am not surprised that uh, Euron's your pick at all.
1: <laughs> no, who else would it be? Uh, Well,
0: exactly, nobody else. Um, Who is your winner then?
1: Um, I'm going to give it to Arya this week. Ah, oh. yeah.
0: Oh, it's a good good I'd... to see her back in contention for uh, winner of the week. She uh she won the season six episode three, and then before that it was the last episode of season four. So I think with the uh, greater focus being paid to the central characters, it does mean mm. that more of this will happen. I think, and in this uh you know in this collision course of an episode, I think maybe she's the person at the moment at least that she's on the straight and narrow
1: well fingers crossed Yeah.
0: alright then we'll be back next time for episode 3 of season 7 entitled The Queen's Justice Uh, as I said before at the top of the show if you do get a chance to go and see Henry V by all means you will be standing at the back but it's a great show and if you have the money to put aside to get to London first of all if you're in the UK um, it's well worth it Uh, I'm going to try and go and see it again because uh, apparently that's a done thing. You go and see plays twice. To uh... yeah,
1: you can um, you can stand at the back like Littlefinger, just sort of sneering <laughs> stuck in the and... wall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One thing I will
0: say as well is that um, Danny Kiran, who will be making a brief appearance in this season of Game of Thrones, uh, is also Ooh. in the cast. Um, we'll have to look out for him in future episodes but he also has quite a prominent role in henry v and he's also wonderful as are the rest of the cast it's a great production so if you book any tickets let me know on twitter and we can talk about it (laughs) but until (laughs) next time thanks very much for listening everyone and we'll see you soon
1: see ya